Calvin <coughs> taught us to think of the earth, the view, all that God has created as a dazzling theater within which God has designed for his glory to be magnified and with dazzling brilliance be seen by all. So it is as he continues to write the Institutes and speaking of creation, the earth, and the heavens to come to the earth as a theater of God, where we are observing everywhere we look, everything we see speaks to the glory of God as God has designed it. And that creatures would reflect that glory in obedience and appreciation for the Creator. Yet we have acknowledged, as Paul speaks in Romans 1, where that is the great exchange within mankind, we have, instead of in this dazzling theater, received the works of God as testimonies of His glory and His greatness, we have instead exchanged the Creator for the creatures. We have, instead of honoring the Creator of this dazzling theater that speaks forth His glory everywhere, we have instead honored ourselves. Decided we'd rather worship things more like us than Then we have walked through the book of Revelation and seen the disastrous consequences everywhere from this great exchange. Calvin, in speaking of the reclaiming of the theater of God, where God will return and replace his theater of our glory, he speaks of it this way. Powers us to understand our text this morning. I read for you from the Institutes of writes this reclaiming of the theater of God. His power shows itself clearly with the ferocity of the impious in everyone's opinion. It's overcome in its signal. Their arrogance vanquish. Their strongest defenses destroyed. Their javelins and their armor are shattered. Their strength is broken. Their machinations overturned. And themselves fallen on their own when their audacity, which exalted them above them, lays them low. When conversely, the humble will be raised from the dust, and the are lifted from the dumb. The oppressed and afflicted are rescued from their extreme tribulations. The despairing are restored to the good hope. The unarmed, you and me, stand victory from the earth, the many and the strong. Indeed, God's wisdom manifests his excellence when he dispenses everything at the perfect hour. Only will confound the wisdom of this world, and he will snatch and catch. Crafty in their own craftiness. In short, we will claim the earth for his glory. This law of judging crafty in their craft, snatching them and bringing their arrogance unto 
humiliation. It's the word of Revelation 18. It's been written to you in the life of Babylon. From chapter 17, you can see this reclaiming the theater of God, where we have first, in chapter 17, kind of, if you could with me just view it as this stage, perhaps. From this stage, let's pretend there is a gigantic curtain, and you are reading the book of Revelation, and you're working through the messages of 16 and 9 and 17, and what you've been seeing actually as we pair with Calvin's comment in this dazzling theater of God, we have from chapter 17 seen the curtain pulled back. And to the church is exposed those who have been at work destroying the earth. That is, perpetrating evil, harm, persecution of God's casting fear, that was designed to promote his own glory, speak his words, testify to his greatness. And we have seen the curtain pulled back into the culture and seen that there stands a great harm of that work in the Luring many to do the same, exchange the Creator for the creature. And then we've seen it goes further than that, deeper, darker, more heinous, and gruesome than that. We found these, didn't we? He was there. He is there, empowering the woman to give her an effectual power to her promises that are lost. The curtains of that, you, the church, are seeing it clearly. We see behind the beast the dragon who is at war with Christ and his church. God is now in Revelation 18 beginning to clear the stage of his work, reclaiming his dazzling creation, where the dwelling place of evil is becoming Revelation. Will be this final exchange. The dwelling place of evil will become the dwelling place of God. Evil will be vanquished. Eric will be brought up. Humiliation is how it says even in the center of the earth. And at once, righteousness will be peace will be our spirit. Revelation is the beginning of the clearing of the stage. It begins what frankly we see there right in the text. Look at the proclamation that controls this passage. Look with me if you're there in Revelation 18. Look at the proclamation that begins this right off the bat of God's work in clearing the stage as he is playing his dazzling theater. Beginning in verse 2. He called out with a mighty voice. That another angel that has come down, he cries out, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons. That's quite in contrast to what we just saw for beauty in the 70s. She is a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird. She is a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. This is a word to the church right here at the very beginning portion of this proclamation. It is important that as we gaze upon Revelation 18, 
in God reclaiming the earth for his glory. It is in the mind of the author as communicates to you, the church, this morning. It is in his mind as good as having already been done. You see, this is a promise that God will reclaim the earth for his glory. All that is wrong in the mind of the writer is already as good as sad. It is like, maybe, maybe, Babylon will fall. It is written. She has fallen already. It is as good as the college. It's just the church put yourself there. It's broken. The sad is frustrated by fall. Constantly getting that sense of mixed motive. Getting sick of your own sin or falling in love. Will it ever go away? Will I stand with my own consciousness? Not constantly giving out the call. Will this sin that has come into God's favor promote itself? He will lose, and 
This is an analogy, he goes on to say, of our time here on earth. We are observing a locked chess game between God and Satan. Satan, uh, God has given Christ up to die as a propitiation for the sins of his people. He has in Christ played the last definitive move. In the resurrection, the kingdom the end is determined, and nothing is going to change it. What we are seeing now is the devil making his last few times desperately hoping to be, though he knows in the resurrection it cannot This does not imply that Satan ever had a true chance to win. God is absolutely sovereign in his rule and will. The point is that as we struggle, we are reminded that the seal in Christ is powerful grace that takes our journey and nothing takes. Illnesses and her sins. She is the one who rejoiced to remember in injustice. She exalted herself in wickedness. She perpetrated murder and all forms of cruelty. And now she is proclaimed to be utterly destroyed in the mind of the divine. It is this law, chess match, where she is already destroyed. God made a promise earlier in the book of Revelation that he would destroy the destroyers. And it is. Great reality, we can already confirm that possibility. He has in Christ destroyed his souls. A question as we progress through the passage, though, is we understand this has already occurred in the mind of the divine, but what is, I want to draw your attention for a few moments, what is the primary sin for which Babylon is being destroyed? What is her primary sin? We would look at our all of her injustices, her wickedness, her cruelty. What is the primary thing? How does it come? Remember, we're looking at Babylon Harlot. We're going to continue to see the, the, the false prophet. We're going to see the beast. We're going to see the dragon all being judged. And we, we recognize that there are a wing, as each one speaks, a wing of the Roman Empire. So what is Babylon in distinction from the beast? Though they were working in tandem. Remember the tandem bicycle. All of you will never look at the tandem bicycle the same again. I'm telling you, there's two friends with helmets riding together. You know that's why. It's the piece of the one. It's not a So it is that though they work in tandem, they are yet not to be put into the same thing as the same work. They are working. So in this morning's text, we're looking at the distinguishing features of each one, just Babylon this morning, and what is her primary sin for which she is being judged. If you walk through this passage, you will see, here is my brief answer to you, 
as I will show it to you in the passage, but the, the primary sin for which she is being judged is her promotion of wealth as God. This is, this is the economic theme of Rome, the, the, the luxury and the love of money, but the fall everyone's going in my golden son. And it is this idolatry of wealth, and I want to show it to you in a definitive way so that as we move away from that line, you have a sense of the listeners that you have accomplished something clearly here with me together. We have accomplished in defining Babylon and we're confident about what we have said. Let me show you how we're sure of this interpretation that it is the wealth as God, her idolatry of wealth for which she, in particular, is being judged. Look in verse 3 as I can show it to you. I just highlighted throughout this passage as it's been read to you. But let me, by remembrance, draw your attention, verse 3, to the very last phrases of verse 3. The virgins of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. This is what is bringing her low. Verse 7, as she, look at her look at her judgments coming upon her, a mixed double portion, because what did she do? She glorified herself and lived in luxury. We'll come back to that in a brief moment. We'll look at verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality, remember we were talking about this is language of fornication or, or intercourse. They, they committed intercourse with her. They, they gave all they had. They shared her intimately and they lived in luxury with her. So she glorified herself and created an environment of abomination and every type of immorality. They celebrated, they intercoursed with her in her luxury. They now are weak as they watch verse 11. Shows the, the remorse of a sense of mourning, but is it virtuous? No, and in verse 11, the virtues of the earth, they weep and they mourn for her. Why? In this intercourse relationship, since no one buys their cargo anymore. You see money here? You see the love of wealth, idolatry at work? Verse 14, the fruit for which you're so long is gone from you. All your delicacies and your soldiers are awesome. Never come. Verse 15, the merchants of these wares, this, this economy, who gained wealth from her. They are standing far off fear of her, torment, weeping, mourning. Look at verse 17. For in a single hour, all this wealth, that for which your soul longed for, and this is my face, and all the shipmasters, seafaring men, sailors, all those whose trade is on the sea, they cry what saves life. See, they fornicated with her. They intercoursed with her. They shared in her power of wealth. I work in you, and you work in me, and together we have power, we have wealth, all that our heart desires. We love them. Verse 19 they threw dust on their heads, and they wept, and they mourned, crying, Alas, alas, the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich. By her wealth. So it is if we come back. What is the primary attack? What is the primary sin that Babylon is guilty of? 
happened with this various group of these dragons A careful distinction needs to be made at this point, however, for each of us, especially perhaps in our climate politically today, both in just our cultural conversation. It is not, we need to be careful, it is not, as some would say, that God clearly needs luxury, wealth, or riches. You have this, this, this way in which we can present God's attitude towards money, and we can have the one on one side proclaim what is called a, uh, a, uh, a, a, a gospel of profit, or, or, or a gospel that is um, one by which God wants you to be wealthy. We know that. A prosperity gospel. So we can, we can approach money that way if we say that God wants everyone to have luxury, wealth, and good wages. So we can take this and take the way in which we unlock that secret is we pray this particular way and then we, 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 before you know it, we're no longer cleaning the office. We now own the office. That was God's intention for us all along. We get way out of that. And then we can also have our feminine sleeve, which is always, which is simply the way things kind of work, going kind of this way, in which there is no sense of the text speaking, but we are speaking about it. And so we come over here and we say, God doesn't like luxury. God doesn't like wealth. God has an attitude against the rich. Read. And then we begin to quote various texts throughout the Bible, perhaps we come to Revelation 18 and say, see, I told you. Everybody who has that house over there, and I'm living in this one over there, shame on you. We can create, we, we can join and make that public conversation somewhat we have right now and justify it. Someone even goes so far as we have heard, they quote what seems to be scripture, and you have heard this to say, quote, money is the root of all evil. We would look at Revelation 18 and say, exactly, exactly. But we'd be better off taking a moment and be careful to recognize that there is distinctions being made, careful language in the text of Holy Scripture regarding, indeed, God's view of wealth and money and our interaction with it. It is better that Scripture has said, actually, this is the text of Scripture. So if you have quoted, money is the root of all evil, but it was scriptural, we recognize that it isn't, but we recognize carefully within the text, it is, quote, this, the love of money. This is the question. It is the love of money. And it is a root of all kinds of so that we don't take one category that God has given us well and say it is the root of everything. We recognize scripture speaks of a root cause of all kinds of evils. And it is indeed not just its position, but it is the love of Paul goes on in 1 Timothy 6 to say it this way. It is through this craving. So it is a love of money, and it is the craving, or as we heard in Revelation 18, 
all that your soul longs for. It is the craving that some have wandered away from the faith, thereby piercing themselves with many pains. This is the conversation we must make in balance and handling of love and prosperity. Speaking of a craving, I was thinking in my own mind now I can make sense of uh, wandering away from the faith and this sense of being pierced through with many pains and all kinds of attending evils. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes for me, I get a craving. And I think that many of you, being human, I think all of you are, I imagine, human, and then therefore experience cravings of various kinds. I think right here is another point within the text. You and I, United Students, we share common failures, cravings. So it is that for me, I just thought, and this isn't a constant for me, but this just comes from yesterday, so I should today. That is, um, sometimes I have a craving for a chipotle, a burrito, a snake, a grande. But if it is where my home is located, and then Chipotle is located, and then there is a craving that is created here. So the craving is created here, and I've got to get here in order to satisfy that craving, that which my soul has longed for. I have to take steps, concrete steps on my part, literally, down the concrete steps on my part, into my vehicle, and then follow a particular pathway that gets me to a location to satisfy my cravings. <clears throat> so it is just, and this is, if we take this thought, every craving has an attending pathway to satisfy it. So it is that when love has a craving, that is, we have a craving for money. Our soul's own. We want to attain a certain amount. We have in our mind a goal set for us and our family. We have some sense of I crave just more. I have to say, money is here, and I'm here in my chair thinking about it, daydreaming on it. I have to then, as Paul said, take concrete steps in order to achieve it. And often, as Paul said, this craving, this love of finance, the steps that we take to get there are filled with all kinds of Because money is wrong. No. It, it, it's because it's in the heart of it. So we seek to satisfy that craving through the steps that it takes. Paul says, by the steps that some have taken to get it, and others wander away even from the faith. This is a pathway. To me, it, it's like two blocks. Within my heart, In that pathway to satisfy that love and that craving, there waits for me a brokenness. Because my heart is not satisfied. It begins to fall loose. I'm injured in my pathway, and my outcome is different. 
So it is not just a thing of finance. It's love. Let me be clear as to our conclusion. It is that God has not hated. And I know we know this, but it's a word of wonder. God does not hate at all. But it is that he hates. The idolatry. Because with the idolatry of God, as with the Jehovah freedom, there is a corresponding evil that comes with the love of God. You cannot just create the beloved and then not injure you or others. There is a corresponding evil that comes with love of God. Read through your text, and many of you have read. But it is a great picture this morning of exactly what our Lord is warning against in a few of Babylon's instruction. It is James 5, and one child now I'm reading text for you. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. This corresponding as we consider Revelation 18. Look at the corresponding evil that comes with the love of money. Your riches have rotted, your garments, they are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Christian, please, by faith, be wise in Christ. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion, look what it amounts to. They will be evidence of this. And they will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in these last days. Gold. Wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You see the corresponding evil that comes from those who have loved money. They have hurt and injured others. They have kept back by fraud to fatten their wallets. It is because they love you, because they Corresponding evil that thinks that they have kept back from those who have burned Their cries are one of the harvesters who have worked and they have oppressed. They have reached the ears of workers. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. Is Those who are suffering, James writes in Ephesians, they will until they come. This is a godly perspective on the law. But when we love it in our hearts, all that waits for us in the end is to correspond to people who are ourselves. So it is the idolatry of love is the root of the There are final two applications as we kind of come to our close to handling Babylon. 
particularly in this passage that I want to highlight for you. I mentioned it briefly last week. This is a final word to you that I would offer on the principle of applying this text to our own heart and life riches in what God hates about the idolatry of wealth, primarily, as Calvin commented, even in our introduction, it is the arrogance of controlling our own destiny. This is even the word of Christmas. The arrogance that rises in the heart and it says, I can control my own destiny. You see, it, it creates all harmony, at least in our body. I can do it. I can, by my own hands, make this, create it, stand it up, let it shine, receive the applause and the finances. I can create the time. I can control my destiny. And thank
a single hour. A single hour. This next thing asks the question of the next thing I want to be told is going to last you in the post and be long. Then, how should the Christian respond to that? How should we behave for a If we know that it isn't that God hates it, it is that he hates our idolatry of it, he hates the corresponding rudeness and evil that comes with it. How then should we respond to wealth? I would ask you. This passage just so I can read it for a brief moment and go back to 1 Timothy. Move with me backwards to 1 Timothy. Hebrews, keep going back to 2 Timothy. And the answer will arise, but naturally, once again, we don't need to scratch our heads, but we'll see it straight from the text. How it is that we should hold all things before us again? As Christian individuals, beginning in chapter 6, I'm going to read for you as Paul writes to young Timothy on the perspective of wealth for those who are of great means within the church. And indeed, we can draw that to each one of us, certainly, as uh, Matt Ryan has pointed out in his comments briefly around Cameroon and Africa. Each one of us in this room certainly would recognize, hopefully, the broad perspective, and recognize each one of us is quite wealthy. So it is not just thinking this is a word that people, people maybe in this room are asking, I wonder which one's that, and I wonder if they're listening. We can perhaps all of us each come together and recognize the steps. It's not a power to know. Just to Look at verse 16, or 17, excuse me, chapter 6. He writes, As for the rich in this present age, same language that James used in James 1. 
Charge them not to be haughty. Lord, second, I hope it's uncertainty of Jesus. What of God? Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be good. To be rich in how can I do good? How can I be rich for the Lord by being generous and ready to share? And in this condition, in receiving what the Lord has provided me, I am storing up treasure for myself as a good foundation for my future so that they will take hold of that which is true. You ever felt that sense where you weep or ring in your heart? You, you come to your senses, you recognize the proclamation of Revelation 18. It's going to see the loud hour. Stop toiling and spitting. It's going in an hour. You say, What a God. My heart is like, uh, I'm nervous about this and that. I wonder if this is going to go. I wonder what this is going to And you have a moment of wisdom. It's This is what Paul means by storing up for them a good future. That which is true of life for us. I want to end our time with just a brief question to you. Two brief questions. In this perspective of Babylon, and what she's done, do you remember in Revelation 17 how much she did do this Babylon? It's not just over the whole service center. It's not over what we've seen it on Wall Street. That's uh, not exactly accurate. We have seen it in detail. We have seen it in the illustration of my fault. Again, it's not about it now. We're talking about a hard condition. So we have seen her on the water. We've heard that on the water. And the water is hard. Languages, peoples, and nations of all nations. Call them for your heart. So, how do we know? I'm asking you in, in this final, since we know we have been influenced, we can assume it, we know it's true. We battle this, don't we? We know, we're alive, we're human. We struggle with this. Beyond just money, we struggle. Making this her problem. So, how can we know if we are right now? This How can we discern? You and I, I'm asking you this in our concluding of our time together. How can we, you and I, discern if we are subtly deceived by all the world? 
I would submit to you this answer to question number one. How can we know if we are under Babylonian influence? Or if there's something to see Babylonian times? How can we discern? I would suggest to you that if there is a growing confidence in ourselves, you know if it's true or not in your own schedule. Notice or not, if you parent your children apart from faith and spirit led dependence upon you, you know it in your marriage that you're not submitting it to the Lord, seeking His grace and wisdom for how to unite one with another. You know this in your various categories of life. If there is a growing confidence, as you look back on your life lived before the face of the Lord, is there a growing confidence in ourselves? Because we can be sure, brothers and sisters, that according to John 15, if there is a growing confidence in ourselves, there is present an accompanying loss of confidence in God and His Word. You know this in your own time. And you cannot grow self confident. You got this, man. My bootstraps are strong. I'll pull myself up. You cannot have that and an increasing dependence on the Lord and his work. You cannot have that. When there is a bootstrap theology in the heart and in the behavior of life, there is an answer. David asked this question in Psalm 118. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking So it is in Psalm 
What is David saying to do? It requires. Law of the Lord is sure. It is a surety. And it makes the simple wise. It is right. Love it. It rejoices God. Father, word. Thank you. 